Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. So state lawmakers have left Lansing for their summer in-district work period, which is more commonly known as summer break. The legislature has limited session days on the calendar between now and September, but there is still a lot going on in state politics. It looks like Republicans, for instance, are going to get their wishes to strip the governor of some of the emergency powers, including ones that she used at the beginning of the pandemic. And in other news, lawmakers and the governor have agreed to an historic K-12 schools budget that closes a lot of the gaps in the way that schools are funded here in Michigan. Here to catch us up on the latest in state government and politics is Zach Gorchow. He is the public publisher and executive editor of the Gongwer News Service in Lansing. Zach, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. Good to be with you. All right, so let's start here. This week, the State Board of Canvassers certified a petition from the group Unblock Michigan, which would strip the governor of some of the emergency powers that uh, she used to implement shutdown orders and put limits on businesses during the pandemic. Uh, this was a long saga leading up to this point. Uh, let's talk about the backstory and then what's likely to happen next. Well, um, if you think it's, it's almost hard to remember how, <laughs> how the this started, on this. <laughs> but um, there, there were, Michigan has had two laws on the books uh, to let governors declare states of emergencies. There's the Emergency Management Act of 1976, which is the one that has commonly been invoked uh, and, for example, is, is being invoked right now to deal with the Wayne County flooding as well as the um, tornadoes. Uh, in Port Austin and in northern Kent County. And that's what you typically see how it's used with natural disasters. Emergency lasts for 28 days after being declared by the governor, and it can be extended with an affirmative vote of the legislature. Uh, The problem the governor ran into at the beginning of the pandemic was the legislature did not want to extend her emergency authority, which is quite sweeping. Um, It allows a governor to suspend or modify existing statutes. Um, It did not want to extend it beyond April 30th, 2020. So at that point, um, the governor began relying on the Emergency Powers of the Governor Act of 1945, which has no role for the legislature, and it allows the governor to keep uh, the state under a state of emergency as long as the governor believes emergency conditions exist. And uh, so an effort began to repeal that statute using something called the initiative petition. Uh, The Michigan Constitution allows uh, a group of people, if they can gather signatures from registered voters equal to 8% of the total vote for governor in the last election, which in this case is about Mm 340,000 signatures from registered voters, Uh, if you can do that uh, and for a statute, uh, it sends it to the legislature, and the legislature can decide whether to enact it or not. Um, if it does not, then it goes on the ballot. But that was never the goal with this group. It was to get it in front of the Republican majorities in the legislature in the hopes they would enact it. And that we're going to see likely the first step in that process today with a vote in the Senate. And I'd expect uh, that to pass, and with a House vote coming 
uh, sometime in the coming weeks. Mm. So, so as you point out, it was a long time ago now that this all started, and there was a time when this dominated the the headlines in in the state and in terms of politics, at least, and, and this power struggle between two branches of of government. You know, but today we're at a point where there are no more restrictions that uh, the governor has said. They all went away on July 1st, and I feel like people have moved on in, in a lot of ways from that argument and that, that fight. Do, do Republicans risk, um, I guess, do they risk trying to sort of capitalize on something that, that has passed in this political moment by, by going back to this now? Let me answer it with two points, because I think you made a good point. The air has gone out of this, and there's a big reason for that. The Michigan Supreme Court ruled that this statute is unconstitutional. Right. Uh, so last October, um, there, you know, there was a court challenge to this as well. Uh, a 4-3 majority of the Michigan Supreme Court said uh, this was an unconstitutional statute, an unconstitutionally delegated exec- uh, legislative power to the executive. So at that point, uh, this statute really became null and void, and the governor then relied on the public health code, mm-hmm. uh, which confers similar but not quite as sweeping powers to the health department director. We can probably talk about that in a little bit. Um, but th- this is really now about whether, you know, there's now a Democratic majority on the Supreme Court. That was not the case last uh, year mm-hmm. when this ruling happened. So this is really about the idea that perhaps a new case could somehow be filed at some point, and a court could rule differently. This is kind of beating a dead horse, I would say, um, but it's it, it, nonetheless it would take it would wipe this from the books. Yeah. Um, so, and now to your second point, have people moved on? Yes, I, I would say that they they have, um, but you know the the this all started because the legislature felt. Uh, that they had been cut out of the mix uh, in terms of pandemic management. Now, one could argue, and, and the governor certainly has, and I think I've, I've said as much that at least at the beginning, the legislature really cut themselves out of the mix uh, by, you know, basically going on, you know, suspending session, uh, barely coming in. They didn't try to stand up any type of a remote meetings process to make themselves relevant in the critical early months. Um, you know that said, uh, some form of a public health order or emergency was in place mm-hmm. for well over a year, and and there was an argument to be made that should an executive be able to indefinitely keep the state under un- essentially unitary rule when it came to pandemic management indefinitely, uh, and so that is that is what's at stake here. I I don't think they really risk. A backlash. I think people have moved on. Um, I think, you know, I just don't see this stirring the kind of outrage that yeah. would have occurred had this been repealed, say, a year ago. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with uh, Zach Gorchow. He's executive editor and publisher of the Gongwar News Service in Lansing. Uh, we're talking about what's going on in the state capitol as legislators head toward their annual summer break. Uh, there are still budget negotiations uh, going on. We were just talking about uh, the move to pare back some of the powers that the governor has uh, to impose emergency restrictions the way Governor Whitmer did 
at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, we're also going to talk about schools and a number of different uh, issues that are also happening in Lansing right now. Uh, we'd love to hear from you during the conversation as well. Give us a call and let us know what you think of the GOP's attempts to strip the governor of some of the emergency powers that that office has. Uh, do you think Governor Whitmer used those powers responsibly and effectively during the past year? Or do you think that she was guilty of an overreach? Uh, of course, we're now at a, at a point where we don't have any restrictions here in, in Michigan. July 1st, they all uh, melted away and we're going back to some normalcy. But uh, maybe you're somebody who's still thinking about uh, that that tension between the powers of the governor and uh, the legislature. Uh, also, give us a call and let us know what you think about the budget negotiations uh, in Lansing. As always, uh, they're a little tense and seems like they're going to go down to the wire. Uh, what would you hope would be some of the priorities that the legislature and the governor could agree on uh, to spend uh, to spend money? Uh, also, uh, think about all the money that is showing up here in the state of Michigan. Uh, as a result of the stimulus package, uh, we have more opportunity to spend money than we normally do. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to uh, the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will uh, try to work you into into the conversation that way. Uh, Zach, I want to talk about what, what going forward this looks like for future governors, uh, um, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, they're going to have to live with, uh, with these restrictions. Um, uh, the, the idea that we could face, even, even in the near future, uh, another public health crisis like COVID-19. I mean, I, I think there's some apprehension about what might happen this fall or winter. Uh, how will that affect the ability to, to keep people safe with restrictions? Uh, we, you were talking earlier a bit about the powers that the health director still has uh, here in the state to, 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 to do things. How different will it look uh, if, if, we have to, if we have to confront this issue again? Well, you know, one thing we should mention is that uh, Republicans uh, are about to start the same initiative petition process to slap a the same 28-day waiting period, or I'm sorry, 28-day limit that exists in the Emergency Management Act on public health orders. Mm. Um, you know, one would presume, based on their success at gathering signatures quickly last time, that they are going to be successful again at getting signatures. Um, I'm sure that there will be another effort uh, by Democrats and allies of the governor to try to uh, delay certification of it, much as, as was the case here, where, you know, from let's they turned in the signatures on the first petition uh, in, I think it was early November, late October, um, and it just certified now here in July. So, you know, it could take another uh, nine months, who knows, between now and certification. But uh, if that happens, uh, it still means next year the legislature, with its Republican majorities, is going to have the opportunity to enact it. And that will be a huge change. I mean, the uh, powers in the public health code for the health director to issue orders managing an epidemic date back to the 1918 influenza epidemic. 
uh, were put in place at the time. And this would, uh, you know, basically would say that those orders only last for 28 days and can only be extended um, by an affirmative vote of the legislature. And it also goes for local health departments as well, that um, any orders they issue could only be extended by, after 28 days, by a vote of their uh, county board of commissioners, uh, or in the case of the city of Detroit, by the city uh, council. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that is a, a dramatic change, a very dramatic change uh, in uh, powers that have been in law for, uh, for a long time. over 100 years. Yeah. Um, you know, pandemics don't last 28 days. I, <laughs> <laughs> we've I learned and that. Granted, sure. we haven't, we've only seen, you know, we don't see them that often. Um, but uh, I, I will say, you know, it seemed like at the beginning of the COVID-19 epidemic, pandemic, uh, that, that there could have been, there, if we weren't so polarized politically, there could have been perhaps an opportunity to amend um, the 28-day limit in the Emergency Management Act to, say, six months, mm-hmm. something like that, and then say you need a legislative extension if it's a pandemic. You know, there's a big difference between, you know, the tornado that hit Port Austin um, and the flooding that hit Wayne County recently and a pandemic that lasts more than a year. You know, typically you can address the natural disaster emergency uh, within that 28-day period. They're just not the same. Um, you know, that's uh, the proponents of this would say, too bad. Uh, you know, you can't sideline the voice of the people uh, indefinitely, um, as the public health code powers uh, allow, um, you know, that there's no role for the legislature uh, currently. So, but, you know, we're too polarized to come up with some sort of a right. uh, middle ground. So we're looking at this 28-day limit, which if we do have another pandemic, or if, uh, heaven forbid, uh, COVID-19 somehow finds a way to overcome the vaccine. Thankfully, there's no evidence uh, that that's happening currently. Um, but if for some reason we did have a resurgence, uh, it would it would make management of it much more challenging because now you're talking about uh, the governor and the legislature uh, needing to uh, either come up with a statute uh, or some sort of wheeling and dealing mm-hmm. Uh, where the legislature agrees to an extension in exchange for something else, um, it, it would just become uh, a, you know a lot trickier. Uh, maybe some people would say, "Well, democracy sometimes is tricky," but uh, lives are at stake in a pandemic. Um, you know, it 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 could be could be real messy early on. It's just hard to know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone's call. Tell us what you think of this power struggle ongoing between the Republican-controlled legislature and the Democratic governor in this state about uh, emergency powers. Seems that as though the GOP is about to take the upper hand uh, in that argument uh, with this uh, petition now going uh, in front of both chambers of the legislature for a vote. Do you think that's the right idea, or do you think uh, that's dangerous, given uh, the probability, I think, that uh, we end up having to confront uh, public health issues with regard to COVID-19 again? Again, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Vera in Dearborn. Vera, what's on your mind? Hi. Hey. Um, 
I wanted to say that I, I don't believe that um, it should have been certified because uh, I was one of those people they approached for a signature, and their their tactics were really unscrupulous. Hmm. The woman said to me, do you want to sign a petition to support the governor? Hmm. And, I, you know, and I looked at her, and I had known, because I listened to you guys, that that petition was floating around, and I said, how so? And she said, oh, by repealing this, you know, and I said, that doesn't support the governor, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so I'm sure there are a lot of people that took her at her word. And just signed. You know, she got me at a shopping center. They're busy. They run on their way, you know, and just signed that petition based on what she said. I, I think their tactics are really unscrupulous. If yeah. they think they're, they're – um, their point is legitimate. Do it in legitimate ways. Don't try to trick sure. people and fool yeah. people. So, so, Vera, I'm really glad you called and and gave us that example because that's something that goes on, I think, quite a bit in in Michigan with petitions. It's not it's not just this group, the unblocked Michigan folks, who are a little crafty and 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 maybe a little dishonest about the way that they try to get signatures. I I see people doing that kind of thing. Uh, all the time. Zach Gorchow, that does raise, again, I think, a question that we don't talk about a whole lot here in Michigan, which is this petition process uh, and whether it's it's too easy for people to get uh, this kind of thing in front of the legislature without uh, the ability for the governor to review or veto. Uh, other states make this a little harder than, than Michigan does. And it's been a long time, I feel like, since we've had that debate about whether we ought to think a little harder about how we allow citizens to make these kind of changes. I mean, Michigan's petition process is a mess. I, I don't think there's any other way to say it. Um, that That's not a knock on the unlock people. They're just taking advantage of the system sure. uh, that exists, as other groups have before. Um, first, on the, you know, trickery in terms of signatures, I guess a couple things. One, it, it, court, Michigan's courts have ruled uh, time and time again, it does not matter uh, if you lie and right. trick people into signing your petition. As bad as that is, it legally does not matter if you, uh, under our statutes, and this is part of why I say things are a mess, if you sign it, it, can, and, it and, you're a va- and you are a registered voter and all the other Everything else is up to spec in terms of your, your address and so forth. Um, that signature counts, period. It right. uh, doesn't matter what means were used uh, to get it. Um, and this is a know, reason there, there we should lot, say. You know, there was a group of uh, uh, the governor's allies that really tried to make points that these signatures, in many cases, were ill-gotten mm-hmm. or had problems, and they struck out. Uh, they just flat out struck out, uh, you know, unanimous opinion of the Michigan Supreme Court, a Democratic Supreme Court, I might add, and it was unanimous, repeatedly ruled against them. And, you know, we all knew they were going to rule against them. They, yeah. This was just they were trying to delay the inevitable as much as they could. And as much as uh, they may want, and, and groups that oppose this may believe, there should be an investigation into what happened. It should prevent the signatures from counting. It simply under Michigan law, is not possible. Um, I might also add that... We should also point uh, out that that's, this is the reason that people, when they are approached with these petitions, really ought to make sure that they read 
what it is they're signing. I mean, yeah. people you will tell you what yeah. the, the, the circulators word for it. Yeah. Yeah. You sure. got to read the whole thing and then decide whether you want to sign. But, but go ahead. Um, yeah. So, so there's that. Now I, the, I do think we should say that it is, I think it's unlikely that a va- that a major, let's say, I'll say major is like more than a third, that more than a third of these signatures uh, were ill-gotten. I mean, there are you know, plenty of Republicans out there who, are, who would be itching to sign this and uh, kneecap the governor's powers. Mm-hmm. Um, but that brings up another point, which I won't get into a major digression here in terms of the problems you mentioned with Michigan's system, which is this mechanism that allows for uh, a group to bring a a proposed law before the legislature, and the legislature can sign it uh, with no possibility for the governor to veto. Remember what I said earlier. You only need signatures equal to 8% of the total vote for governor. So I never understood why the 61-62 Constitutional Convention did this, where you basically say, that 8% of the total vote for governor is as powerful as a majority of the vote for governor, which is what it takes to get elected. Uh, you know, you're, it, it logically makes no sense. Um, and uh, we, we've seen, because the, le- you know, the legislature has largely been in Republican hands since the 1963 Constitution was adopted, we have seen conservative groups many times now use this mechanism to get around uh, a democratic governor. Yep. Uh, you know, it, what, I think there's a very good argument to be made, regardless of who's in charge of the governor's office in the legislature, that that threshold should be much higher, or that mechanism should be done away with, and all of these proposals should just go straight to the ballot and have uh, the people uh, decide it. That way, um, you know, you are not... If you're going to negate the power of the governor, you're doing it with a majority of the people, uh, not 8%. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. and When we come back, we're going to continue this great conversation with Zach Gorchow about all of the things that are going on in Lansing. We're going to get to some other subjects, but also continue talking about this uh, power struggle between the legislature and the governor over emergency powers. We'll also continue to hear from you, Susan in Gross Point Park, Amanda in Detroit. We'll get to you next. If you want to join them on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Your city. Your town. Your voice. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Zach Gorchow. He's executive editor and publisher of the Gongwar News Service in Lansing. We're talking about all the things that are going on in Lansing as legislators head home for their summer break. Still a lot of things to get done uh, before uh, the fiscal year turns uh, this fall. They still need to put a budget together. Still... Uh, talking about uh, a number of other issues. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. What do you make of what's going on in Lansing? What do you make of uh, this uh, recent decision, which will allow 
the GOP legislature to pare back the emergency powers that the governor has and that Governor Whitmer used to impose restrictions in the early part of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, We're also talking about the new money for schools. Uh, I want to get to a discussion on uh, changes, proposed changes to Michigan's uh, Elliott Larson civil rights law. Uh, You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. And before we get back to um, before we get back to callers, uh, Zach, I do want to talk about schools and uh, the seventeen billion dollar K twelve schools budget that Governor Whitmer signed into law this week. Uh, she says it's the largest investment in K twelve schools in state history, and that it's the end of a twenty seven year journey to close funding gaps between school districts. Uh, talk about how significant uh, a news this is. Well, it's it's very very significant. I mean. Uh, you know, when Proposal A was adopted in 1994, um, it, w- it, one of its primary goals, it had several primary goals, but one of them was to ba- balance out better how much money the state uh, is providing. I should say how much money per pupil is spent to educate children. Um, and it, it's taken quite some time, um, but uh, the amount of money that the state allocates per pupil in the basic foundation grant is going to be equal uh, starting in the upcoming fiscal year. Just to be clear, it does not mean that all students are funded equally around the state. There's still a number of districts in uh, several Oakland County suburbs, some Macomb ones as well, that uh, are able to fund at much greater levels because uh, of pre-proposal A property tax measures that were in place. Um, so that's still there. And then you still have a lot of other uh, categories in the school aid budget that are funded differently depending on the districts. Nonetheless, even with that caveat, this is a very big deal. Um, you know, districts for a long time uh, were getting wildly different amounts of money from the state, uh, and that is uh, going to end. And then you throw on top of that all of the you know massive federal aid that's coming in to help districts with the coronavirus costs. Um, you have lots of money coming in in other places we can talk about to try to help districts manage some of the return you know full return to in-person learning that is anticipated for this fall. Um, it, uh, there's a lot there, um, and uh, it's a, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, does it close these gaps permanently? I mean, some of this money, uh, correct uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, is stimulus money that, that is one-time funding, and uh, it's great that we have it, but uh, if, if you're talking about school budgets, uh, those have to be funded every year. Is, is, is this a permanent fix for those things? Uh, and is this maybe, if it is, is that going to put stress on the the state budget in years where there isn't this huge influx of federal money? Well, the the stimulus money is separate from this. Um, in ter- as far as um, all of that huge federal aid, I think it was like another th- almost three and a half billion dollars mm-hmm. um, was not part of the uniform eighty seven hundred dollar per pupil foundation grant. Um, so. You know, district. That's a one. That is a one-time shot of money. You mm-hmm. know, uh, some districts 
are, are going to be getting, you know, it, it comes out to almost $40,000 per pupil in the federal money. Wow. That is a one-time shot, a huge one-time shot, but one time. Um, you know, nothing's ever permanent in the budget. It goes from year to year. But I do think the idea that districts will be funded, you know, getting a different amount of state funding in their foundation grant, mm-hmm. I, I do think that is going to be as permanent as something can be in the budget you know, if, um, you know, if and when there is a recession that causes a de- you know decline in revenue and forces a you know reduction in per pupil spending, um, you know I think you'll see that uh, there will be a a commitment that districts will, would be reduced the same amount. I I think it'd be very difficult now to somehow for some you know a new legislature and a new governor down the road to suddenly reintroduce the idea of, okay, well, we're going to fund this district at this, you know, this district's going to get a bigger increase than this one. Um, I do think it does raise an interesting question going forward. You know, the more well-to-do districts, these ones I mentioned earlier that have pre-proposal a property taxes, um, you know, they've been getting really a pittance of an increase for more than 20 years, sub-inflation. And that that has been a major issue for those districts. Like, Birmingham, Bloomfield Hills, Gross Point, uh, Farmington Hills, uh, those Farmington Public Schools, those districts. But I think one question superintendents there have to be asking is, okay, if if this is now equal, can we finally get an increase that's the same amount as these other districts have been getting? You know, in this current fiscal year, the upcoming fiscal year budget, uh, hopefully I'm not going to get the numbers too wildly off here, but um, the districts that have been funded at the lowest amount are going to get $589 $589 per pupil increase, and the districts that were at the highest amount already are going to get something in the realm of like $170 hmm. per pupil. So you can see that that's a very significant difference. It is. And I'll bet a lot of these, you know, there's about 43 of these districts around the state are going to be wondering, hey, can we finally now, after almost 30 years, get something more than an inflationary increase for our districts. Right, right. Uh, Again, uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there. We'll work you into the conversation that way. Let's go to Amanda in Detroit. Amanda, what's on your mind? Hi. Hi. um, Two things. One was, um, harkening back to the previous conversation with the Republican legislature and Mm -hmm. their rhetoric of not wanting to silence the voice of the people when that is just patently untrue given their past behaviors, Mm -hmm. the outgoing legislature and their last-minute shenanigans of, in fact, just completely undermining ballot proposals that were passed. Mm -hmm. And if they truly believed in what they were doing, why wouldn't they take it to the people? And that whole 8% um, thing that I didn't know of, thank you for um, your guest for bringing that to light. Um, the power of 8% of the voice overpowering, you know, the majority that elected the governor. That's just utterly ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then um, about the current conversation with the school funding, doesn't the current budget or the current law that just passed raise the floor instead of the ceiling for districts? Mm. So the districts that, you know, have are getting the most increase are now just on a level floor right. with the districts that have always gotten more 
money. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's right. But uh, Zach uh, confirmed that for, for, for her and for me that uh, her take on this is right. Yeah, yes. Um, that, that's, that's another way of, of saying it, that, you know, districts that were, I don't have the exact numbers right in front of me, but just for argument's sake, let's say your, your districts that had been at the maximum level of state aid were at, uh, you know, 85.30 per pupil uh, for the current year, and all the other districts were at, you know, 8,100 and change. Mm-hmm. Uh, now everybody will be at 8,700 coming from the state. Again, just to reiterate, Birmingham, Bloomfield, they're all at like 12000 per pupil, but right. that extra amount is from local property. From local tax. taxes, yeah. Right. right. They're still right. in that held harmless category yeah. that we used to talk about with Proposal A. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, no, Amanda, I really appreciate the call, the comments, uh, and, uh, and the question. Uh, let's go to Susan in Gross Point Park. Susan, welcome to the show. Hi there. Can hey, you hear me? I sure can. Oh, good. Okay, I have a couple of comments that uh, you could maybe address. <clears throat> I think that these Republicans probably throughout the country, especially here in Michigan, are an extension of Mitch McConnell, who is an extension of Donald Trump, who will not do anything for a Democrat or a Democratic governor or whomever. I I have no tolerance for them. Do you think that is so? Mm. And then, um, if this governor were a Republican, would these Republicans fall in line and do whatever asked? Mm. Well, and that's all I suppose. Those are good. Those are good questions, Susan. I'm glad you you called uh, and asked Zach. I'll give you uh, the first crack at uh, at answering that. Well, I I think there's something to be said that that. You know, Republicans, I think, even going back to John Engler, have, have looked to what they think they can do under existing law and maximize their power. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they have done that here. Uh, really from, you know, the moment, you know, Governor Whitmer came in, there, there was clearly a move to try to box her in as much as possible. Um, you know, I, I don't think there was... You know, you, you saw at least at the very beginning a lot of discussion that there was going to be bipartisanship. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you, you look at the approach the majority leader, Mike Shirky, has taken. Uh, you know, he's clearly, you know, to, to put it mildly, not a fan of Governor Whitmer. <laughs> There's you know, a lot of really, you know, nasty comments uh, that he's made uh, over time. Uh, and, uh, yes, the, you know, I think... You know, the Republicans have looked to use this mechanism to get around a Democratic governor. They, they did this with Jennifer Granholm, um, and they're, they're doing it again with, with Gretchen Whitmer. Now, I will say, uh, this was used to get around Rick Snyder yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think on areas where he point. was not seen as conservative enough. Right. Um, you know, this was, a, you know, attempted with the uh, repealing something called the prevailing wage, uh, it was done uh, on an abortion insurance measure where the governor was opposed, Governor Snyder was opposed on both those things. So, yes, I think, you know, the conservatives have looked to try to maximize uh, the avenues uh, they have available to them. And I've, I've forgotten the second part of the caller's question. But, well, uh, it was about uh, whether a Republican governor would face these same kind of hurdles. And I think that that point about Snyder, I mean, at the end of Rick Snyder's second term, I, I can remember 
a conversation with him about how frustrated he was with the legislature, which was of the same party. It, it, they just didn't see things the way he did, and, and they, they made it difficult or impossible to get a lot of stuff done. Yeah, I mean, in, in Governor Snyder's first term, I think he very much controlled the agenda, mm-hmm. um, was putting so much out there. And I think there was a real push, you know, after, because it's hard to remember now, but in 2010, you know, Democrats controlled a lot of Lansing, and, but that election put Republicans completely in charge. And I think there was a lot of pressure Republicans felt to make sure they were delivering and showing the governor was successful. But once he got to his second term, uh, the legislature really... Uh, in terms of the legislative agenda and bills that went to the governor's desk, they, they really did uh, uh, control, take control, and the governor was much in much more of a reactive posture. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Zach Gorchow, do you get a summer break while uh, legislators are on there? <laughs> well, I, I did just go up to uh, uh, the Leelanau Peninsula for the, the past three days, oh, three, nice. four days, so that was nice. Um, but uh, back now and Back to work. Ready to get to it. Okay. It's always great to have you here uh, on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Stephen. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to take a look at a new exhibition that centers Muslim life and community. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.